welcome back to OA On Air via social distancing. I'm Kayan Isaacson. This week, it's 321 Go with Cosmo Macero. Then Cosmo and I speak to Scott Goods from Monster Worldwide about getting back to work amidst the pandemic. And in two minutes with Tom, Tom and I talk about what life at the office might look like when we all head back. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of 321 Go on the remote OA On Air podcast. We're back with Cayenne Isaacson, the official voice of OA On Air. Cayenne, how you doing? I'm good. How are you, sir? Very well, very well. Uh, moving into, uh, we're now a couple days into, and we'll kick off with this, the, the reopening plan for Massachusetts. Every state now, all 50 states, in some phase of uh, reopening their economies, reopening, reopening normal activities at, at varying levels. Uh, and, uh, and we've moved from stay at home to safer at home. Uh, so the stay at home order has essentially been lifted here in Massachusetts, but strong guidance to maintain the same protocols and safe practices uh, in every instance that you can, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Got to uh, keep social distancing in mind and wear those masks. That is important. Wear those masks. <clears throat> now, effective May 18th, number of things were introduced. Uh, houses of worship, churches and other um, houses of worship are, are uh, open with some guidelines and uh, on, on uh, attendance, as well as a strong recommendation to have outdoor services where possible. Uh, and then certain types of business, uh, effective May 18th, essential businesses, which are already um, operating during the stay at home. Um, they obviously continue to operate manufacturing and then construction. Now, there were some areas of construction, particularly housing, that uh, were, 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 were classified as essential and have been ongoing. But now this brings a uh, uh, you know, reopens uh, construction projects uh, of a variety of different types um, uh, across that category. Um, but uh, glaringly omitted has been retail and really the main street businesses, although they're being addressed not so much in the next phase, but in but in the next week of phase one, right? May 25th, we're going to see some of those things open up. Yes. Um, different and kind of the the businesses are a little bit all over the map too. Um, you talk about house, uh, houses of worship and construction, and I think those made sense. Curbside pickup at real retail stores and and things yeah. made sense. Um, I was that's, a little that, surprised. That's one that's, yeah, that's one that starts. It's that's one that starts May twenty fifth. Curbside only and remote fulfillment for retail, even though. Essential retail like grocery stores and hardware and 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 that includes like Home Depot and Walmart. They've been operating, so there's already a roadmap to operate a retail store. Mm-hmm. And, and I I I wonder why there's there's still that delay. They're not going to you know uh, they're not going to allow at least initially the Main Street look smaller retail to open even at half capacity. It's only curbside. My guess is because some of those, you know, 
mainstream and local businesses and real retailers are significantly smaller in their footprint, right? So when I think about some of these smaller shops that have been closed, uh, there's not a lot of space inside them. Um, and that probably makes social distancing a lot more difficult. So if it's curbside and they're almost personally shopping for you, you can kind of take a peek around and they'll grab things for you. I think it probably just eliminates the possibility of a lack of six feet of space between, you know, whether it's customers or staff and customers. Um, some of those smaller, some of those smaller places with a smaller footprint um, just don't have the capacity to allow for a lot of people and social distance all at the same time. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, it's, it's definitely a learning curve and process, but I know, you know, business owners are, are, are eager to get back. You know, we haven't, we haven't even got into restaurants where that's, that's going to be phase two and, and, and certainly in limited capacity. We don't really even know exactly when phase two begins other than at some time in, you know, after June 1st. Um, but still as part of this phase one uh, reopening lab space, limited office space, May 25th, then office space, downtown Boston, also June 1st. There's been a little back and forth with the governor and uh, the mayor of Boston, Marty Walsh. He, the, the mayor feels that even 25% office capacity is too much. So the governor has said, look, we'll, we'll, we'll leave those. We'll leave that up to the municipality, which sort of is open-ended. Uh, you know, we've never done this before, so it's it's not it's not exactly an easy mission to accomplish to sort of slowly phased in reopen the economy when people are clamoring to to be able to make a living. Yeah, and you know, no one has done this before, right? So all it it's trial and error. It's learning from what other states and counties and cities have done, and um, you know, perhaps mistakes that have made been made so that they're not being made in other places. The governor has to think about the entire Commonwealth. So that means uh, cities and towns of various populations and sizes. Uh, so for the mayor to perhaps be taking things a little bit more stringently makes sense because he is focused strictly on the city of Boston, where population density um, is different than it is in you know a lot of other parts of the state. So striking that balance seems appropriate. Um, particularly when you start looking at, as a capital city, the amount of people that coming to work, how that changes the population in the city on a day-to-day -day basis. There's a lot to take into account there. So we've got a ways to go. Um, and I think we're just, fortunately, with good weather coming, I think outdoor dining and options like that, wherever they're possible, possible will be key in helping people kind of get back to some semblance of normalcy. Um, you know, they've talked about drive-in movie theaters, which for anyone who's never been to a drive-in movie theater, it's such a fun experience. Um, I used to go to them a lot as a kid. I grew up in Southern California where they were everywhere. Um, some of my favorite memories. Um, so we're just, you know, some of these things we're going to have to back into from a different angle. Yeah, I agree. I I think and that that's a good example. There's been, and, uh, you know, one of the uh, there's not a lot of drive-ins in Massachusetts left. Um, 
one of the operators has been sort of rabble rousing to get the economy opened quicker and um, uh, of one of the drive-ins. But I, I think that that's, you know, there's a good, there's an activity that a family can enjoy together, finally, outside the home that, you know, when done properly, you should be pretty safe. You know, you should be pretty mm-hmm. safe. As long, they're going to establish a, you know, I'm sure that they will establish an appropriate food service um, protocol, which we're already experiencing every day, almost from the very beginning of this uh, lockdown, you've been able to order food. So I think that they'll, they'll be able to manage that. Just, you know, there are some interesting curiosities down the list on uh, recreation, uh, health and human services, essentially uh, in phase one underway. Now, most of the medical services and care that really haven't been able to, to access every is reopened up. Uh, and, if, and if not now, it does on May 25th. But on May 25th, beaches, um, uh, parks, this means with parking and maybe even staffing. You, you mentioned drive-ins, athletic courts, fishing, hunting, boating, outdoor gardens, and zoos. There's this one category just called, I keep seeing it too, many outdoor adventure activities. It, it's, it's like, I'm not sure what that means. It's, Rock you know, climbing, it, mountain climbing, yeah, anything. Yeah, like all those zip lining adventure parks or, yeah, I don't know. Many. Good question. So that, that's, that's an interesting category. I want, you know, I think it's all going to be very personal to, you know, what category of what things people will want to do. To what extent do you want to uh, sort of reintegrate into doing some of the things that you've had to give up? How comfortable do you feel? I think some people are, are, are chomping at the bit. Other people are like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep waiting this out and, and stay close to home. And, and a lot of people will be somewhere in between. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't want to draw any conclusions from other states. I know that I've, I've seen headlines, you know, this state reopened, Texas, there's a spike in infection. And elsewhere. We're going to have to see what happens. We just are, you know, and, and uh, and that's no longer a decision to be debated. That's, you know, the policy is underway. So let's see how this looks. But um, be just, smart, everyone. Be responsible. Be safe. Yeah. Yeah. My, I mean, my personal view on this is it, it doesn't feel like a great inconvenience to me to wear a mask under the guidance that you that we have, which is, you know, if you're going to encounter people. You know, mm-hmm. that's the way I look at it. Uh, you know, if you can't properly social distance, if if you're if you're probably going to be in close proximity to anyone, even for a short time, then you ought to have a mask with you and be wearing a mask. And, and I don't think that that is a huge inconvenience. Others do. I don't. You know, um, and and then there's some other precautions you can take. Certainly, all all the things we've been doing from the beginning, uh, more more aggressive and and vigilant uh, hand washing and things like that makes sense there's a habit you really no reason to ever give that up um and 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 so forth so we're going to see and uh certainly this lays out phase two phase three and beyond let's let's get to that as we reach those phases but uh i feel like next week we we may have some experience to report on but um here we go reopening the economy cayenne we've uh we've made it this far yeah joined today by AAS President and CEO, Bruce Platzman. Bruce, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, and thanks for having me. Of course. We um, have spent the last week, 
AIS has launched this really exciting and innovative program called the Sew the Mask campaign. Can you tell us a little bit about it? We have a uh, goal of donating 1 million masks to the people that really need them, the frontline responders, the people in the hospitals, nurses, nursing homes, uh, maybe different agencies like food banks, the police departments, first responders, people like that uh, that really need masks. And they're today, surprisingly, there's still a, a big shortage of masks for people that are at risk and, and really need them day in and day out. And we're doing that in a very unique way where we've created uh, off of the idea of Rosie the Riveter in World War II, in which everybody really rallied around the flag and rallied around the cause, where all the men went off to, to war, all the women backfilled the factories and kept the war effort going and the infrastructural uh, needs of the country in place as well. And, and ultimately, we won the war. Uh, COVID-19 has now created another situation where everybody no matter what your beliefs are, uh, really everyone has rallied around the cause. We need to find a way to not only get a cure or a vaccine or both, but at the same time, how do we get the economic engine of the country running again? And, and I believe that everybody in, in different people and organizations I've talked to, everybody wants to help, whether you're an individual that is at home or you're a Fortune 500 company and everything in between, everybody wants to participate in a really hands-on way, not just write a check or, or say they're doing something with a, a given charity. They'd like to be more involved. They'd like to be uh, hands-on. So we were, we're office furniture manufacturer and we manufacture about 500 shares a day. Early on, we converted one of our lines uh, to manufacturing masks and people seemed to like them. And we were giving it out to first responders in Lemonster and Fitchburg and people were asking for more of them. And it seemed to be a good quality mask compared to what was available. And I had come up with this idea hearing about Rosie Riveter and could we play a part and kind of build that community involvement, let's call it a call for action, uh, with people that volunteer to sew in their homes and corporate sponsors that will help offset the cost of these 1 million masks that we get out there. So in real simple terms, we get a sponsor in a city uh, that donates the pro. Uh, an amount of money that covers the cost of these thousand masks. We'll deliver 20 boxes of 50 completed from our Rosies that have sewn them after we've done a quality control check. And the only obligation these corporations have at that point is to distribute them within their communities uh, in a charitable way and a philanthropic endeavor uh, to all the people in need and all the frontline responders. It helps build their brand equity, their philanthropic brand, and at the same time gets their employees involved. So I think it's a much better situation than just saying, here's a thousand dollars to my favorite charity and hopefully they do something good with it. Yeah, and I think that's what's really interesting and different about this initiative from you and your team is this idea that you're letting people literally get their hands on and their hands, you know, quote unquote dirty, so to speak, to really help and make a difference for people that can sew. I personally don't know how to sew at all. My um, hat's off to all the people that do, but it allows people from home to get involved and companies to say, I want to do something, but I'm not sure where to put my resources. And what I love about this is you could be a company from, you know, Idaho uh, that says, you know, I would like to sponsor some masks and the masks are, are going to your community in Idaho. And I think that's really important for people to recognize too, that 
AIS, the masks will be, uh, the kits are coming from here, but they'll go to the communities where those donations and sponsorships were made. That's a, that's a good point because, you know, although every community needs masks, that company from Idaho would be more uh, inclined to participate if knowing that the masks are going right back to them so they can distribute them within their community. And so we have uh, been talking about this program for, as I said, about a week now. And I know that you've already received, received some really great interest. Uh, what kind of response are you guys getting? Well, as you know, uh, we had a nice opportunity with WCVB in Boston uh, mm -hmm. last week. And we were on the news three different times. And from that, uh, we certainly put forth that we needed corporate sponsors and we needed the Rosies to sew. And it was really just the start of our initiative. And to date, we secured over 300 different Rosies that have uh, signed up. And we are in the process, starting yesterday, of distributing the boxes that would have 50 kits and getting those out into the hands of the people that are going to sew them. So starting next week, we should be able to start returning those to the corporate sponsors that we have, which is right now we're at about 65 to 70 corporate sponsors. And today we roll the program out on a national level to my sales force. And we anticipate that that is going to grow exponentially. 300. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. We're getting a big response. People want to help. They want to sell. And it's all over the place. We're going to, you know, we have a 92 year old lady that wants to help, but she says I can probably only do two a day. And we're excited. I mean, two a day is not going to necessarily help the situation, but being able to allow that 92 year old woman who said, I just want to do anything. It's great. And we're very excited about the different people and demographics of, of uh, all the different types of people that want to sew from, we have uh, a teenager. Matter of fact, my daughter is a 16 year old who, uh, is going to sew masks as well, all the way up to this 92-year-old woman. That's great. And I, when you put it that way, you really also, it's it's empowering for people who perhaps have felt, um, I don't want to use the word helpless, but have been wondering how they could really help and get involved. So it's, an, I'm sure, empowering for them too, which is always an added bonus in times like these. It, it, it is. It's a good point. And, and you're sitting at home and you're going, I want to help, but what can I do? I'm you know, I'm 92 years old, what can I do? Well, here's something you can do. And it, it not only is a feel good for this individual, but at the same time, I'm sure sitting at home is pretty boring for the last eight weeks. And so it, it does so many things. It gives them hope. It gives them the ability to participate in such a great cause. And it takes the boredom out of, uh, out of the day. Which, which for some people, I'm sure, is, is a welcome distraction. Um, I wanted to ask, too, can you talk a little bit about the masks? Because they're a little bit different than, you know, your average fabric mask that people may be ordering from other companies. That's not to put those down. But um, these masks are, are a little bit different and have some special features. Yes. Well, first of all, all the N95s, nobody should be wearing those except hospitals and nurses and, and doctors and surgeons and people like that. So that brings us really to the fabric mask. And as you just said, there's millions of them out there. And they're really just a piece of fabric in most cases. And some are a little more sophisticated. What we wanted to do was to develop a mask that 
uh, in the world of fabric masks uh, was second to none. It would be the best quality out there. So what we've done is it's made of two layers of fabric. The inner uh, layer is a non-woven polypropylene, which acts as a filtering unit. But the second layer is the most important. And what that is, it's been treated with an antimicrobial a treatment at the point of uh, the yarn manufacturing, which helps repel and kill any bacteria. Now, we know that COVID's a virus, uh, but there are a lot of bacteria out there that we want to take care of as well. And it's also treated, and this is where it really helps with COVID-19, it's treated with a water repellency that will repel uh, close to 100% of all small droplets and large droplets. And we've now learned, obviously, that you don't catch COVID just from someone coughing or sneezing, which is what they said in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And we realized that just normal talking and breathing around someone that doesn't have a good quality mask on will transmit the small droplets, which is mask will repel. And then we have uh, straps that don't go around the ears. They go, it's double strapped with a instant adjustable cinch uh, bead in the back. So they're comfortable. We don't get complaints that, you know, if you wear this for eight hours, I'm getting blisters behind my ears like the nurses get with some of the masks they've been forced to wear. And they're not You can attest to that. You've been wearing your mask. Yeah, I am wearing it right now. Well, I pulled it down, but I've been wearing it all day. So it is a great quality mask. We do not go on record to say that it uh, guarantees you won't catch uh, COVID-19 if you're wearing it. But Mm -hmm. from the standpoint of uh, fabric mask with the water repellency and the antimicrobial, it's a great quality mask. Great. So again, we've got uh, Bruce Platzman from AIS, which is a office furniture manufacturing company in Lemon Star, um, working on this great campaign called Sew the Mask. Where can people get more information if they want to become a Rosie and sew, or if they are a business executive or individual who would like to get involved and sponsor some of these masks? SewTheMask.com. All right. And we encourage everyone to, to go get involved. I would love uh, people to get involved again, whether it's somebody sitting at home uh, that wants to sew or a corporate entity or an individual that would like to donate. That would be fantastic. All right. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us, Bruce, and, and good luck with the rest of the this great campaign. Great. Thanks for having me and uh, have a great day and stay safe. You too. Bye-bye. Cayenne, um, we're back. Great interview with uh, Bruce Platzman from AIS. Just quickly pivoting back to reopening as we close out this week's um, segment. There's some things we can now do, and there's going to be more things we can do as we get through these phases. What's the one thing that you have been dying to do that you now can, or you're dying to do it and you can't quite do it, and you can't wait till you can? Um, I'm really looking forward to being able to meet up with a group of friends for dinner and drinks at a restaurant, ideally on a patio because of the weather. Um, And then even further than that, uh, I'm really looking forward to being able to go hear live music again. I don't know when that's going to be, but those are my two big things. How about you? 
That's really cool. Mine's pretty easy. I've actually done it once already when they reopened the golf courses. So that's to play golf just because I feel like it's, uh, you know, it's a relatively, I've always felt during this lockdown, I'm, I, I haven't really complained and rattled the cages like a lot of people, but the, the golf could have been safely, uh, you know, participated in. So I'm psyched to play some golf. I've been only played once. And I'm going to play some more. That's my one thing. I'm glad you mentioned live music, though, because there's another one. And I'm like, a, you know, every year we do a big down on the South Shore, big outdoor festival. I'm sure that's that's not happening. But I, I read some I, I did read this kind of as a mashup with the drive in movie theater about about drive in concerts. And what a great I mean, this is a concept that can be executed. Right. I know that. Yeah, there'd be limited, obviously limited capacity, limited uh, ticket sales, a car load, and you get you can't have people milling. You, you got to probably stay with your vehicle, but you can get a couple few thousand people, I I think, uh, on a site with uh, with uh, uh, you know appropriate uh, accommodations for parking. Yeah, I mean it's basically taking tailgating and concert going and putting them all together at one time, which. Uh, I mean, sometimes the best part of a concert is a tailgate. So the idea of doing them both seems I'm, – I'm all for it. I think it's huge. I think it's the kind of thing that, <clears throat> if executed properly, might stick around and be like a special thing once we all return to being able to go to a regular concert. But let's see – I want to see one of them happen first. Uh, I think it would be awesome. Yeah. So we've got we've got some milestones to look forward to. Joining us next on OA On Air is Scott Guts, the CEO of Monster Worldwide, headquartered in Weston, Massachusetts. Scott, thanks so much so much for joining us. My pleasure, Cosmo. Happy to be here. Excellent. We're joined also by my colleague, Kyanne Isaacson, the official voice of OA On Air. Hello. Excellent. Hello, Kyanne. All right, Scott, the bad news, uh, it's all around us. It's pretty obvious, but let's just lay it out there. Unemployment nationwide. Um, reached 14.7% in May. That's the worst since the Great Depression. The Federal Reserve has warned it could reach an unheard of 25%. We know GDP in the second quarter is going to be terrible. You're here to give us some good news. That's why you're here. Uh, what sectors are showing opportunity for reemployment among the millions mm-hmm. who've been put out of a job? And I can't think of someone better to ask than uh, the CEO of Monster Worldwide. Well, thanks, Cosmo. So listen, it is certainly difficult out there. One of the interesting data points from the April's jobs report was that 18 million of those uh, jobs that were lost were temporary, so temporary layoffs. There were 2 million that were in the permanent job category. If we were looking for a sliver of optimism, typically those jobs that are in the temporary layoff category tend to come back when the economy recovers, so we will look at that. If you think about industries that are continuing to hire, it's not going to be a surprise. It's around healthcare. It's still in delivery, food service, logistics, uh, elder care. Um, Those are the ones where we certainly see hiring continuing. You could also add to that list things like uh, state unemployment offices, so no surprise. 
Uh, also, just to share that demand is remaining strong in some of the categories that were still strong before this pandemic. So software developers, network engineers, computer system administrators. One of the new ones that we're seeing now is around operations managers with the perspective that um, businesses are planning to get back to work and how do they orchestrate bringing employees back into the office. So just a little bit of perspective that there are um, industries that are hiring. There are still job categories that are that are strong, but it is definitely difficult still. So you mentioned people getting ready to get back to work or businesses planning to reopen, which I think is probably really welcome good news for some who have been working remotely throughout this time. And while that's obviously a blessing, as so many people have been um, put out of work. Monster Worldwide recently did a survey. I think it was over 1,200 households and individuals that found that some are really feeling burnout from remote work uh, because it's harder to put a beginning and an end on the day. Um, how, how can people be better dealing with that? And how do you see that changing? As a lot of companies are, are saying, you know what, maybe we can work more remotely from now on permanently. Yeah, and I think as well, well, two parts to that question. First, I think employers are certainly trying to figure out how to go back to work and how to remodel the workplace, um, how to sort of like um, prepare employees for what it's going to be like to interact with other employees. So you could think about visual reminders, temperature checks, uh, staggering shifts, you know, every other cubicle being used. Uh, things that are highly visible, but they're also thinking about the, what are the costs of bringing employees back to work. So a big part of the evaluations that are being done now is, of course, we want our employees back together, but it certainly won't be at 100% occupancy. It likely isn't 50. It may be 25. And then when you have to administer for all of these um, pandemic-oriented approaches to bringing back employees, it is quite costly. So now you look at the other side, which is, okay, here, here I am an employee. I've been working uh, from home if I'm able to for the last two to three months. There's definitely some burnout. Uh, there's burnout associated with not seeing other people. There's burnout associated with the fact that your days tend to start early and go longer. There's not as many breaks that you can't even get up and walk five minutes to go to the bathroom or walk you know, down uh, into your cafeteria to have lunch. All of these sort of typical things have gone away. So yes, uh, in our study, 51% are feeling more burned out. It was interesting that maybe it's because they don't see things recovering in the near term. More than half said that they don't see uh, an opportunity to take a vacation and aren't planning one. And then the other obvious component of working from home is you're not only balancing work, but you're balancing family. You know, you're you're doing grocery delivery, you're cooking, you're teaching your children. There's a lot of issues associated with you know just being home with your family and all the different tasks that you take on. Yeah, I mean, I know that prior to all of this, a lot of us with kids would joke that sometimes you come in on Monday and it's almost a relief after a weekend of kids and activities, and you know, it's that coming back on Monday and being able to commune with friends and colleagues and have adult conversations is important um, and also important to the fabric of an office. That's right. Agreed. So there's also been some research done by Monster with recent college graduates and those that are graduating right now, obviously a very difficult time to be graduating for a whole host of reasons. But 
is there anything what what did that re- what is that research found so far to date and I, I imagine that will continue to change as the weeks and months go forward i just i know when i graduated from college i knew exactly what i wanted i know where i was going i know what career i was going to do i knew i had I, you know i was just getting started and i was broke as hell for a few years but i knew what i was doing and I gotta, I, I, I gotta wonder if, if, if students who are graduating now are, are, are even able to be in that position. It's a, it's a, a great question from both of you, and we've done a lot of work in this category, as you have said. Um, a, a big focus of Monster is looking at those uh, individuals that are entering the workforce, either from a high school graduation or college graduation perspective. So you're, you're absolutely right. It's an unprecedented, super difficult environment for students that are graduating and entering the workforce. Um, They will likely need to reset their expectations to the point that you just made, Cosmo. They may have an idea of what they want to do. They may have an industry that they're targeting. They might have to vary that idea a little bit. They might have to consider doing a similar job in a different industry. So those are some of the things that they're contemplating. In the studies that we did, and it was about 1,500 people in conjunction with Wakefield Research. These were all people ages 18 to 24, either those graduating from high school, from a two-year college, or from a four-year college. But the interesting thing for me is that 55% of the graduates said that they had actually applied for jobs where they knew they weren't the right fit or it wasn't the right fit for them. Almost two-thirds thought that they were overqualified for the jobs that they were applying for. Uh, There was a fairly high percentage, 77%, that actually had loans, student loans, and 62% of those felt like they had to just get a job in order to start paying back those those, um, loans. And uh, just one more quick percentage is that there were more than half that said they would absolutely accept a lower salary in order to start working right away. So it is like, it is super difficult. It's super difficult for everyone from a jobs perspective right now because of what's happened. But I would say college students are really having to reset expectations and they're probably as nervous as every other category. Yeah, that's for sure. And I imagine too that some of the jobs that are considered more fallback positions after you graduate or even well after that, when you're sort of bridging the gap between jobs, whether that's waitressing, working in retail, you know, things like that, that people say, well, it's something to do and and it's a paycheck. Those no longer exist either right now. Uh, So you're exactly right. So just uh, one other quick comment on the, on the, on the graduates. So, so we are, we are creating a, a graduate content hub at Monster to give them some perspectives on how to search, build a resume, prep for video interviews, some, some, Um, perspectives on those companies which are hiring. We've done virtual uh, career panels. We've got Instagram posts that are taking place today with top tips for new for new grads, including, you know, the author, a woman named Lynn Gross, uh, an author of a of a study, which is what what next five year plan for life after college. Um, And then to to, you know, connecting the, the, the commentary here. You're absolutely right. When when they start looking at the types of industries that are hiring. And when you start to now look at those people who have lost their jobs uh, on the retail side, um, they're going to have to look at different types of retail positions that they might have considered. Um, it's You could look at sort of like, you know, those Main Street uh, stores that are no longer open, the, the malls that are no longer open, which tend to have more boutique oriented stores. 
they may, people may have to think about pharmacies. They may have to think about big box stores, grocery stores. They may have to think about jobs and customer service. So there, there's, a, there's a lot that's happened in retail. And I guess we're hopeful that we, retail does start to come back, albeit slowly. It may not be this quarter. Uh, it may be sort of in the following quarters. But again, it's, it's, it's when we start to see states open, when we see the non-essentials start to become essential, when we see confidence in, in people to go out and sort of interact more effectively, and we start to accept that shopping in a retail store or, or, or sitting in a restaurant is going to be much different than what it was in the past. Yeah, I think we are going to see a lot of things different. We're talking to Scott Gutt, CEO of Monster Worldwide. Scott, I'm glad you mentioned retail. The sector has been hit incredibly hard. Um, uh, certainly national retailers, the ones that are already in trouble like JCPenney, Pier 1, those problems are being magnified. Their store closings are accelerating. But then you've got Main Street USA, and we're starting to see a lot of frustration there. The small business economy, heavily made up of local retail stores. Um, I know retail drives a lot of G GDP, but it's also one of those sectors where it, it, it's basically a point of entry for just about anyone, you know, uh, or at least in, in, until right now. Um, yeah. it, it, it's a way into the workforce for just about anyone at any level. Uh, what advice can you offer people who've lost jobs in retail? Are there prospects for that sector recovering that you're seeing from your data and the people that you talk to as the economy reopens? And then finally, are there, are there other sectors that could help sort of fill that opportunity void that, that are also easily accessible to just about anyone? Yeah, so it's a great question, uh, Cosmo. So, so first, I would say uh, just to share with you, we we look at job searches very closely, you know, across uh, across all the locations at which we operate, which you could think about as being North America and major European markets. So, the one interesting thing is we have started to see, from a search perspective, people starting to search again for retail jobs under the assumption that as things open back up, there will be opportunities in retail. In your comment about um, Main Street, so one of the interesting things that we're seeing, I think all of us, if I was on a video right now, you would likely say that I need a haircut. Um, we are seeing that, you know, as as um, as people are, are starting to go back to work, as the non-essential businesses start to open back up. One of the things that we've seen, I mentioned it earlier, is a demand for more personal care-oriented uh, positions. So beauticians, massage therapists, pet groomers, things like that. So that tends to be a little bit representative of Main Street. We know we talked a little bit about Main Street from a restaurant, and, and I'll move to pharmacies in a second. Restaurants that have been delivery only are going to start to adopt new rules where they're going to allow for you know people to sit in a distance manner. But, but more specifically now, if you think about people who have lost their jobs in retail, who are now starting to think about other opportunities, I, I guess the simple answer would be that uh, people in retail have skills in customer service. They have skills in communication. They've got you know, inventory management skills. They should be looking to see how those skills translate into similar positions or, or other industries. Um, you may have seen this, but we... We have offered uh, free jobs for essential customers uh, at Monster. It continues through uh, the end of June. Uh, a big uh, retail uh, pharmacy, CVS, actually posted 10,000 jobs on Monster. We were working with a lot of um, um, retail employees who had lost their jobs to help them understand that 
CVS from a pharmacy perspective, big box stores, grocery stores, a lot of customer service oriented positions were actually going to be available. And we were trying to help them understand that that here are where they're hiring the non-essential healthcare. Here's how your skills may translate. And and you know, we're hoping, we're hoping that we provided some good advice and counsel. We're hoping that, you know, we're starting to see as you know, uh, non-essential becomes essential again, that the opportunities will will be created. But again, it, in a very difficult uh, overall environment, there are industries and there are categories that are hiring where these people have skills that are transferable. Excellent. You, right. Before we wrap up, I think you've talked a lot about a number of resources that Monster uh, has right now to help job, job candidates especially those impacted by COVID-19. Before we go, any other resources that people should be checking out? Yeah, absolutely. So we spent a lot of time uh, thinking about uh, work in the time of coronavirus. It's actually um, a a, a component of the monster.com worldwide site. Uh, We produce content that, that is obviously very specific, like how to hire urgently needed healthcare workers, uh, we've done perspectives for small businesses on how the CARES Act impacts them. We've we've tried to be very, very specific on companies that were hiring nurses now to look at an essential category. Uh, we were, um, from an, a candidate perspective, we were, and really from an employer perspective, we, we tried to offer advice on how to prepare for and conduct a video interview, lots of guidance uh, and perspectives on working from home. Um, as I just mentioned, we did offer a lot of information about those essential jobs that were hiring that really did not require substantial relevant experience, you know, because there was a lot of work that just needed to be done. We uh, So that's in, in one category. In the other category, we feel like at Monster, we needed to do our part. Uh, and same for our parent company, Ronstadt. We've been offering uh, free job postings for those in the essential uh, category. So you could think about that as being healthcare, delivery services, food services, etc. Um, we are actually partnered with uh, with a company to offer free video interviewing uh, to all of our e-commerce customers, including those that were just coming to our site and posting jobs for free. And then there was one other initiative that I'm I'm proud of as you know someone affiliated with Monster and sit, and here in Massachusetts we partnered with uh, the MIT uh, COVID Policy Alliance and Massachusetts Senior Care to really figure out what we could do to provide um, workers uh, uh, for those uh, seniors that were in senior living facilities. And in fact, we found ways to post about 1,200 jobs because there was real demand for help. Uh, in those um, in those um, populations that have been very hard hit by COVID-19. So thank you for asking the question. Those are some of the things that we focused on in the context of this, this very difficult environment in which we all operate. Wow, that's a lot, and that's great. <laughs> and you're helping put people back to work, and uh, uh, it's, it's, it's sorely needed. Scott Gutt, CEO, Monster Worldwide. Hey, thanks a lot for joining us on All Way On Air. And, um, I hope we're able to have you back because we'd love to. It would be my pleasure. Thank you, Cosmo. Thanks you. Thank you, Cayenne. All right, great. Hi, Cayenne. Hi, Tom. How are you? Welcome to Two Minutes with Tom.
I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm, I'm getting to a point where I'm mastering all these at-home technologies so I can do Zencaster and Zoom and whatever else I have to do, podcasts. Pretty, nice. It's pretty fascinating. And, and I'm getting pretty facile. Facile, I think, is the word I'd use. Facile. Anyway. <laughs> It's how it is how we're going to keep the world moving forward. I think at least for the so, time being. Yeah. At least for the time being. Anyway, I, I'm, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking. Of, I'm thinking a lot of things. Obviously, the governor and the mayor have talked about reopening, gradually reopening, to a point of the new normalcy, wherever that takes us. And what does it mean? Um, it means that this week, manufacturers. Um, some churches or all churches, but with social distance, distancing um, and, and a few other essential issues are going to be businesses are going to be let open. Um, and next week, they're going to start to open office space. Um, the governor has suggested that we do it with 25 percent of our office population. The mayor has come back in Boston and said, you know, maybe not 25 percent, maybe 10 percent is the is the beginning number over the many phases of of normalcy we're going to kind of walk into over the next two, two and a half months. I don't know if people are ready. I, I, think, I think most employers have to watch a couple of things. Number one, and, and chief among everything, is what, what is needed to, to, to make sure that the employee feels secure and safe and is going to leave, come and leave um, the, the workplace feeling confident about being healthy and, and safe. So a, a lot has been done, I know, and, and there are all kinds of suggestions out there put out on websites by developers, put out websites by landlords, by, you know, by real estate agents and brokers about what we should be doing. Um, I, I think the sense is that we want to give everybody a feeling of of what it is they need in order to feel safe in the workplace. So as, as one of many companies, we're putting out a survey just to ask employees what it's going to take in order to get them back into the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my wife and I, who she runs the company on an everyday basis, I mean, she's the operating officer, you know, has done an awful lot of homework. Um, and we've done an awful lot of talking about welcoming people back. You, you can assume that once people come through the doors, they're going to have gloves on. They're going to be wearing a mask. Um, we have three operating floors in our building that we work on. So the traffic is going to be circular right to left, which means that if somebody in in an office to the right of you wants to talk to you person to person, they're going to have to go around to the right, around the circumference of the building to get to where you are, as opposed to he or her, or him or her, poking their head in the door next door and just saying what it is they want to say. What we want to do is avoid people having high traffic and bouncing into each other, coming and going. We want as, as little contact amongst people as we can have and, and, and develop. We're going to make sure that there are certain things that are off limits: um, coffee machines uh, off limits, uh, refrigerators are on, stoves are off. Um, anything that needs to be touched uh, is going to be touched in a minimal fashion. Uh, gloves are going to be needed. Wipe downs are going to be needed. Uh, tissues are going to be needed if you don't have gloves on. 
when people come into the office, they're going to be given a very large piece of paper to put on the desk. It's like a blotter. Uh, they're going to be asked to bring their, their laptops home with them and bring them to work according to need. They're going to put the laptop and everything they use during the course of the day on that blotter. And when they're done, they're going to take the blotter, they're going to rip it up, and they're going to discard it. And when they come in the next day, they're going to do the same thing. If they come into the office and they have need to go upstairs, they're going to use the front staircase going up and the rear staircase in the rear of the building going down, again, in a circular motion. Uh, those are just some of the things that we've been we've been toying about and, and thinking about, uh, about making people feel good and feeling safe. And while all that is going on, we're going to make sure that we have uh, the folks that are the custodians of our building wiping down, clearing, using aerosol, making sure that we have that we have uh, soaps in, in place, that we have hand rubs in place, that we have gloves and masks in place, and that things like touch pads, uh, uh, handles on doors, knobs on doors get washed or cleaned um, multiple times during the course of the day. Um, I think the largest question is, you know, when are people going to feel safe enough to get on <clears throat> rapid transit or people movers in order to get to work and leave work to go home? I, I think we're a good distance off on that. Um, mm -hmm. And so we're, we're going to require that if anybody wants to go into the office, has a need to go into the office, first of all, what we're going to ask them to do is clean up their office place and take things home and, instead of just having papers around. We want no papers. We want nothing on the desk once somebody leaves. Um so it's it's a great opportunity to clean the place up and to and to make everything as as spot clean as we possibly can. That's just some of the thoughts that we've had, and there'll be others as we get closer to the opening day. It's a lot. I mean, it's a lot to to grapple with, and I know that it's as you said something you and Shelley have been talking about for weeks now. Um, as are so many other businesses, and you know we're in a unique situation because of our office uh, that puts us certainly at an advantage. But all of those things, you know, it, it makes it makes the work day more difficult, uh, for sure. And also to your point, which I I think has been your position from the beginning, which is a lot of this is going to depend on when are people going to feel comfortable even getting to the office. That's right. That's exactly right. And so. You know, it's it's a safety that's uppermost in everybody's mind, and it's got to be uh, it's got to be tantamount in in the employer's mind. So, I, I think that's right. We'll also, you know, be taking temperatures of people coming in the office. If um, we'll have plastic see-through um, uh, barriers between, you know, the reception desks and the and the doors, uh, everything we can employ to make sure people feel as though they're not going to be overwhelmed by people coming through traffic. Um, we're even thinking about taking the chairs out of the conference room and uh, letting people stand apart from one another. It will condense the meeting. Um, there will be, no, by the way, no no food, uh, no, no meals served in the office, uh, no drinks other than bottled water in the office. And uh, if people have lunch, they have to bring it in themselves um, or they can go out and buy it. But um, But the kitchens are not to be used or they're to be used as little as possible. Refrigeration is about all. Um, and I'm sure everybody's thinking about these things in the way that we're thinking about them. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, it's it's going to take it's going to take a while for us all to get back. On the other hand, 
you know, there is a certain discipline to working remotely and, and people have to get used to it. When you mix that together with, you know, kids running around because they have families that are young, that the kids are not in school, they're not in camp, they're not in daycare. Um, you know, so there's, there's a balancing act out there on the part of a lot of young couples with their families that, that have to have to contend with this. And so the discipline is, is, is I think, more difficult than people realize in a lot of cases. Uh, and so well, getting get, to that. <laughs> <laughs> I know you are. But getting back to normal is really important, too. And, and the new normal means I think people need to get out of the house and get back into the office. Uh, it's, it's like an anchor to Winwood. And I, and I think it's 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 something down the road people will be will be yearning for. I really believe that. I do too. I miss I miss our I miss our office. I miss seeing everyone. Yeah, the interaction. Well, we're yeah we're you know we're we're you know we're 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 human beings that love interaction and communication. Um, we're a communicating species, and we we love to interact with people. And so I, I think that's primarily what we miss um, by not going, not being able to go in the office and, and uh, share opportunities, ideas, and whatever comes up, conversation. Anyway, um, just some of the things we've been thinking of. And after talking to other CEOs and employers around town, I know, too, that they're thinking about it. So we haven't cornered the market on everything, but we are looking at all the best practices of people from people that, uh, that have already begun to do some of the things that we're talking about, too. So that's more than two minutes with Tom. Uh, I hope it's been helpful, but I enjoy our conversations weekly. I and always like catching up with you, Tom. During the course of the week as well. On behalf of all of us here at O'Neill & Associates, we hope you and your families are staying safe and healthy. We're proud to continue our work during this time and we'll continue doing everything we can to keep you updated. For daily city, state, and federal updates, on the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Please check out our website where updates are posted every morning. OA On Air is produced and edited by Ashley Lockin and Catherine O'Brien. Talk to you next week. As a reminder to our listeners, OA On Air is currently being recorded remotely.